0: Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. We welcome all of you, and I imagine there'll be extended families that we'll have the opportunity to meet. We thank all of you for coming in support of the nominees. We'll consider the nominations of five individuals to serve our nation in a very different and important roles. The ambassador to the International Atomic Energy Agency and other UN bodies in Vienna. Deputy Representative at the UN. Ambassador to several Pacific Islands. Ambassador to Hungary, Alternative Executive Director on the Inter-American Development Bank. We welcome all of you and thank you for your willingness to serve. First, we have Ambassador Jackie Walcott, who has already served our country in a number of positions, including as Ambassador to the UN for Political Affairs, as well as positions in the State Department under three different presidents. As U.S. Representative to the Conference on Disarmament and Special Envoy for President George W. Bush, she led U.S. delegation to four IAEA Board of Governors meetings. We thank you for being here. At this crucial time, when a historic meeting with North Korea is on the horizon and the threat of Iran's nuclear program is of utmost importance, it's essential that we have someone like Ambassador Walcott with her deep background in diplomacy and nuclear issues, promoting America's national security interest at the IAEA. Next we have Jonathan Cohen. Mr. Cohen has served his country as a career Foreign Service officer in numerous posts all over the world since 1986, including serving as Deputy Chief of Mission at Embassy Baghdad. The Deputy Representative to the U.N. is the number two position at the U.N. and in this capacity, Deputy deputy Representative represents the United States at meetings of U.N. bodies including the U.N. Security Council when the Ambassador to the U.N. is not able to attend. Having someone with his knowledge and experience will enhance the ability of the U.S. mission to defend our interest uh, at the U.N. I was up there last week and Ambassador Haley is certainly waiting to have you cover for her when she cannot attend. I know it's anxious to have you. Next, we have Joseph Sella for ambassador, as ambassador to Pacific Island Nations. Strong US engagement in the Pacific Islands region is important for US economic, diplomatic, and strategic interests, particularly as Chinese influence continues to grow in the Indo-Pacific. The United States maintains support for economic development and good governance in the Pacific Islands to assist these three democracies. With Mr. Sellas' background in strategic communications, it's my hope that he will bring those skills to bear in promoting U.S. interests in the Pacific Islands. Mr. David Kornstein has been nominated to serve as America's ambassador to Hungary at a time when Hungary has put policies in place that many find troubling. Mr. Kornstein will have the important task of reminding the government of Hungary that its future lies not in return to the dark days of the past, but in remaining an active member of the community of liberal democracies. Finally, we have, Mr. We have Elliot Pedrose. Mr. Pedrose is currently a shareholder at the international law firm of Greenberg Traurig where he chairs the firm's 40-member Miami litigation department and has represented clients around the world. With a strong background in international law and commercial litigation, he is well qualified to represent the United States at the Inter-American Development Bank. With that, I'll turn it over to our distinguished ranking member and my friend, Bob Menendez,
1: for any comments he wishes to make. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Congratulations to all of you for your nominations. Uh, I look forward to our questions uh, of many of you. Um, Ms. Walcott, I have no doubt that your many years of the State Department will serve you well when, if confirmed, you travel to Vienna to represent the United States at the International Atomic Energy Agency. There's a number of issues confronting that body, including resource constraints as well as the review of the Iran nuclear agreement that I look forward to having a conversation with you about. I'm glad we'll have a chance to hear from Mr. Kornstein today about his views on Hungary. I appreciate you came by and we had a good visit. Where a sustained rollback of the rule of law and increasing xenophobia pose serious threats to the democratic values that undergird our our NATO alliance. And it bears noting that these threats if left unaddressed only play into the hands of Vladimir Putin who seeks to fuel anti-democratic forces and undermine stability across Europe. I hope our exchange today can help illuminate some of the specific steps we talked about. To, t- to engage Prime Minister Orban and his government on these issues, if confirmed. Mr. Sella, I uh, have a series of questions to discuss with you today, and I look forward to that. Uh, Mr. Pedrosa, I recently met with the president of the Inter-American Development Bank, Luis Alberto Moreno, for a very interesting conversation of what the bank is doing uh, in the region. Uh, it has a lot on its play, and I look forward to our conversation of what you would intend to do there. And finally, Mr. Cohen, welcome to you. I'm supporter, a strong supporter of the United Nations. It does a lot of good around the world. Our national security is strengthened when we are at the table at the UN, and the UN is more effective when America leads with its values. But the UN must do better. It must be more effective. It must be more transparent. It must be more accountable. And in particular, its anti-Israel bias must end once and for all. And I look forward to how you would pursue some of those things uh, as the uh, number two in charge. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, sir. Uh,
0: With that, if you would uh, uh, make your opening comments in the order introduced and keep them to about five minutes, that would be great. Any written materials you have without objection, we entered into the record. Please feel free to introduce any family members who are friends who may be here in support of your nomination. And with that, if you would begin, we'd appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Menendez, members of the committee, for the opportunity to appear before you today. And I'm grateful to President Trump for giving me the opportunity to again serve our country. If confirmed, it would be my honor to lead the men and women of the U.S. mission to the U.N. in Vienna and to represent the United States in two important bodies, the International Atomic Energy Agency and the Vienna Office of the United Nations. I would like to acknowledge my wonderful family, friends and colleagues, many of whom are watching these proceedings online today and so are here in spirit with me. And I'm especially grateful to my friend and former colleague, Assistant Secretary of State Kevin Moley, who is here today. Ambassador Moley and I have worked collaboratively over many years in the UN context, and his I.O. bureau will be my home base if confirmed for these positions. My first true job as a young adult began here in the Senate, just next door in the Russell Building, working for my home state Senator, Robert Taft, Jr. That position and my 32-year federal government career has instilled in me a deep appreciation for the role of Congress, the value of diplomacy, and the critical leadership role that the United States must play in multilateral diplomacy. I've served in numerous positions in Washington, New York, and Geneva, leading U.S. efforts in the United Nations, its specialized agencies, and our policymaking bureaus in Washington. I directed numerous campaigns to get votes from and build coalitions with governments around the world in support of our national security interests, and represented the United States in the U.N. Security Council, dealing with the full range of security challenges. For more than five years, I served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for International Organization Affairs, with responsibilities covering a broad span of U.N. issues. For much of my career, I've engaged in multilateral work at various agencies focused on nonproliferation and arms control. I've acquired directly relevant professional experience dealing with nuclear nonproliferation, peaceful uses of nuclear technology, arms control, and challenging security issues on behalf of the United States. I was ambassador to the Conference on Disarmament in Geneva Geneva, and special representative of the President for Nonproliferation of Nuclear Weapons with lead responsibility for the 2005 NPT Review Conference. During that timeframe, I also led our team in Vienna at several IAEA Board of Governors meetings, giving me firsthand experience with the issues, dynamics, and procedural rules of that body. My most recent executive branch experience was as special envoy for nuclear nonproliferation at the State Department. In that role, I led implementation of a presidential initiative to stop the spread of sensitive nuclear fuel cycle technologies, an issue I know is important to this committee, and promoted tangible commitments to the highest standards of safety, security, and nonproliferation by emerging nuclear energy countries. Most recently, as executive director and now commissioner of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, I've had the opportunity to visit many countries of concern and to analyze and report on the horrible persecution of people by their own governments. I do not think It mere coincidence that several countries that deny citizens basic freedoms are also those that challenge international nonproliferation norms and commitments. If I'm confirmed to lead the U.S. mission in Vienna, I look forward to working with a talented State Department and interagency team. UNVI is well-positioned and indeed tasked to advance important U.S. policy in the areas of nuclear nonproliferation, safety and security, and strengthening international cooperation against many facets of transnational organized crime Including drug trafficking, cybercrime, terrorism, human trafficking, and wildlife crime. Iran, North Korea, and other countries which may be undermining the vital goal of nonproliferation remain some of the biggest challenges for the international community, including at the IAEA. With currently more than 150 missions represented at Vienna based international organizations, if confirmed, I am committed to finding new par- partners and expanding coalitions to advance American interests and values. Today's threats demand such partnerships. In my various roles relating to the U.N., I have always pushed for reforms, transparency, and budget accountability. The United States contributes more than $300 million annually to Vienna-based international organizations. If confirmed, a key objective of my job will be to make sure that the U.S. tax dollars are being used wisely and effectively to meet today's threats, including urgently addressing the opioid crisis plaguing our own country through the work of the U.N. Office of Drugs and Crime. My experience has convinced me that the U.N. and other international bodies are only as good as their member states, and I would plan to be very hands-on in their governance. American taxpayers deserve to be well served through the work of these agencies, including having more Americans appointed to positions within the agencies we support so generously. Mr. Chairman, I'm excited by the prospect of again leading our team of experts in Vienna. There clearly are profound challenges ahead, and there is much critical work to be done. If confirmed, I promise to provide my best analysis and advice to our executive branch interagency team and to work with this committee and Congress to advance and implement policies that enhance the safety and security of our country and around the world. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
3: Thank you, Chairman Corker, Ranking Member Menendez, Senator Young, Senator Gardner. I'm honored to appear before you today as the president's nominee to serve as deputy representative of the United States of America at the United Nations. I'm grateful to the president and to Ambassador Haley for this opportunity. Serving our nation as a foreign service officer for the past 32 years has been a great privilege and never more so than now with this opportunity to represent the United States at the UN. I want, <clears throat> I want to thank my wonderful wife Lydia and our remarkable daughters, Alexandra and Gabriella for their love and support over the years and the many moves. They are watching today's hearings from overseas. Their tenacious adaptability and patience with me and my calling are in no small part responsible for me being here today. I also want to thank my Foreign Service mentors, and in particular the ambassadors, Deputy Chiefs of Mission, and Assistant Secretaries with whom I've served. Over my three decades in the Foreign Service, I've seen many ways the UN contributes to international peace and security. From the deployment of peacekeepers who courageously serve in some of the world's most dangerous places from Lebanon to South Sudan to Mali, to the operations of organizations such as the World Food Program, which with significant U.S. support is providing life-saving food assistance to millions of people affected by famine and food insecurity. The UN's value also lies in actions such as the extensive sanctions regime imposed on North Korea by the Security Council. In effect, banning all known North Korean exports and shutting down its lawful capacity to earn hard currency abroad. These examples demonstrate the critical role the UN plays in advancing U.S. national interests. The United States has been and must continue to be a leader at the United Nations. If confirmed, I will energetically contribute to our important leadership in all these areas, as well as our work at the UN on Iran, Syria, Middle East peace, and other issues before the Security Council and the General Assembly. That being said, I wholeheartedly agree with Senator Menendez. The United Nations must reform if it is to be more effective, and we need to bring that organization up to 21st century standards. Secretary General Guterres' UN reform plan is an encouraging, important step in in that process. If confirmed, I will work tirelessly to ensure that his efforts align with US priorities. Ambassador Haley has been a strong leader on UN reform and has been working closely with like-minded countries to push for greater accountability and transparency, to reduce duplicative structures and mandates, to streamline planning and budgetary processes, and to better assess peacekeeping operations. If confirmed, I look forward to joining her in these efforts to ensure America gets what it pays for at the UN. Additionally, the United States is a champion for accountability when peacekeepers are accused of sexual exploitation and abuse. If confirmed, I will strongly support a zero-tolerance policy. Another area of my focus, if confirmed, will be the fight to end the disproportionate and unjust attacks at the UN on our ally Israel. Throughout the UN system, there's a persistent anti-Israel bias. This is particularly egregious in the Human Rights Council with its standing agenda item dedicated to criticizing Israel. If confirmed, I'll fight this bias at every opportunity and will continue to reinforce Israel's efforts to normalize its role in the UN and the broader international community. The United Nations can strengthen America's security, prosperity and international effectiveness and has great potential to be an even more effective vehicle for international peace and security. If confirmed, I'll do my utmost to help it realize that potential. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, thank you again for the opportunity to address you today. I appreciate and value this committee's oversight of our efforts at the United Nations. And if confirmed, I look forward to working with you and your respective staff members on the range of issues on the UN agenda. Your continued engagement is, and will remain, an important element in our ability to successfully advance America's interests at the United Nations. I look forward to your questions. Thank you, thank you very much.
4: Morning Chairman Corker, ranking member Menendez, Senator Gardner, Senator Shaheen. It is a privilege to appear before you today as President Trump's nominee to serve as the United States Ambassador to the Republic of the Fiji Islands, the Republic of Kiribati, the Republic of Nauru, the Kingdom of Tonga, and the independent island nation of Tuvalu. I want to express my gratitude to President Trump for his confidence in me and for the opportunity with your consent to serve and represent the United States of America in what is a crucial point in our history with our longstanding Indo-Pacific and South Pacific partners. I also want to express my gratitude to Vice President Pence for his support of my nomination. If confirmed, I look forward to working with Secretary of State Pompeo and a seasoned team of State Department professionals. I'd like to acknowledge my wife, Kristen, my children, Francesca, John Paul, Dominic, Rita Rose, Mariana, and Anthony. I'm grateful for their beautiful, selfless love and support. I'm also pleased to acknowledge my mother, Janice Sella, and my brother, Robert Sella, who are here with us today for their love and indefatigable support. I'd also like to acknowledge my late grandfather, Joseph Sella, and my late father, Robert Sella, who are with us in spirit, and just as they proudly and honorably served our nation in wearing the military uniform, during World War I and the Korean War. If confirmed, I look forward to serving our nation in the diplomatic corps. The name of my small company is the Pontifex Group, with Pontifex taken from the Latin pons and fec, which means bridge builder. Serving as a bridge builder has been a calling of mine since my boyhood and is a skill that I've had to employ working in the United States Senate and House of Representatives and as a businessman, and certainly as you can imagine, sometimes as a father to a team of three girls and three boys. Should I be confirmed, I will serve as our nation's bridge builder to the five island nations, to the team at POST, and all whom I encounter. The island nations are an increasingly important component for the strength of our commitment and presence in relations in the Indo-Pacific and South Pacific, for its free and open nature, sustaining democratic principles, the rule of law, and market-based economies. It is imperative we lead side-by-side with our allies committed to the region and partners, including Australia, Japan, and others, in order to Uh, that avoid, not develop, and be filled by others who may not share our commitment to the same preservation of of human freedom and respect for democratic principles. If confirmed, there will be four key pillars that will guide my service. First, directing and maintaining active and regular contact with top officials in each island nation and engaging closely with the Pacific Islands Forum, the region's premier intergovernmental organization based in Suva. My key goals will be to further the cultivation and showcasing of democratic free market principles rooted in each country's right to choose its own sovereign course, fostering vibrant economies through free, fair, and reciprocal trade and expansion of tourism, promoting and maintaining close partnerships for security and stability on issues ranging from free and open passage of all vessels to climate change and the scourge of human trafficking. Second, building and expanding on the successes of the past by working with the interagency that advocates the interests of American businesses, scholars, tourists, and using people-to-people diplomacy through a variety of cultural and educational exchanges. And reminding our allies and partners of our fidelity to time-honored principles. Third, engaging citizens from all walks of life in each of the island nations, demonstrating our common principles and appreciation for the rich history and diverse culture. (laughs) As a bridge builder, I look forward to interacting with leaders from civic societies and the faith communities. Lastly, yet of great import- importance, my prospective colleagues at the United States Embassy in Fiji who work very hard in service to our nation and will be our family. And as with my own immediate family, I will work to ensure their safety and security at all times. It will be a great pleasure to work with an open door and side-by-side side with the mission team to carry on the tremendously effective work in the U- U.S. diplomatic and consular missions. Mr. Chairman. Ranking Member, Senator Gardner, Senator Shaheen, thank you for your thoughtful consideration and the opportunity to uh, appear before you today,
5: and I look forward to your comments and questions. Thank you. Good morning, Chairman Coker, Ranking Member Menendez, and distinguished members of the committee. It is a tremendous honor to appear before you today as President Trump's nominee to be the United States Ambassador to Hungary. For me, it is humbling that the President has confidence in me, hopefully with your approval, to represent the American people in engaging with an important ally in a challenging and changing part of the world. I would like to thank my loving family who sit behind me today. They represent quality over quantity. There are only four living relatives in my entire family. The girl I married 49 years ago, my wonderful wife, Sheila, and we have two children one by birth, our son Mark, and one by marriage, our loving daughter, Natasha. Last, but sure not for least, the best part of my big family, my grandson Danny, who is 12 years old and whom I love beyond belief. I would also like to remember my wonderful parents, Fanny and Irving, and Sheila's parents, Rose and Morris, and the only grandparent I had the privilege of knowing my Hungarian grandmother, Sarah. My family's love and support has been a constant in every phase of my life. <laughs> During my career, I've had experience in both government service and the private sector. In the private sector, I started with one leased fine jewelry department in a JCPenney store, and 40 years later had 1,200 fine jewelry departments in practically all of the department stores in the United States. Our company also had departments which we operated in England, Germany, and France. When I retired from the company, it was doing well over a billion dollars in revenue and was listed on the NASDAQ exchange. In public service during the Giuliani administration, I served as the vice chair of the Economic Development Corporation of the city of New York, where we negotiated many of the deals that came into the city. During the Pataki administration, I served on the boards of Battery Park City and the Javits Convention Center. I also chaired the New York State Olympic Commission, which was an eight-year labor of love where we tried to bring the 2012 Olympics to New York City. During the Bloomberg and Spitzer administrations, I completed my 16-year tenure as chairman of the New York City and State Off-Track Betting Corporations. Through these experiences, I learned how to accomplish goals by working with city and state governments and to find common ground between Republicans and Democrats. In addition, I have been an active member of several philanthropic boards, including the Marine Corps Law Enforcement Foundation, the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Foundation, New York Law School, Parkey Synagogue, and many others. If confirmed, I would focus on the following key areas. First and foremost, I will encourage Hungarian officials at all levels of government to promote American and democratic values. The freedom of speech, the freedom of press, the freedom of religion are values that should not and cannot be compromised. If confirmed, I hope to advance our economic interests in Hungary. Under Prime Minister Orban, the country's economy is doing well. In 2017, GDP grew by over 4%, and unemployment was under 4%. Hungary lowered its corporate tax rate to 9%, and since then has received more than $2.5 billion in foreign investment. Although the United States is Hungary's largest non-European union investor, by working with the Commerce Department, there certainly is room for existing American companies doing business in Hungary to do more. An extremely important goal I have, if confirmed, is to halt the rise of anti-Semitism in Hungary and the region. I am a very proud American Jew, and it hurts and disturbs me deeply that this cancer continues to grow. I will work diligently with Jewish organizations other religious groups and the Hungarian government to make sure the Jewish community feels safe and secure. I will engage with Hungarian people from all walks of life to share this American value of religious freedom, protection and tolerance for all people. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Member and members of the committee, I thank you for the honor of appearing before you today and I look forward to answering your questions. Thank you. thank you very much.
6: Good morning, Chairman Corker, Ranking Member Menendez, and distinguished members of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. I am profoundly humbled to appear before this august body as President Trump's nominee to represent the United States as Alternate Executive Director of the Inter-American Development Bank. I want to thank the President, and Secretary Mnuchin and Undersecretary Malpass for supporting my nomination, and I'd like to thank each of the members of this committee for giving me the opportunity to present my qualifications for your consideration as you discharge your important constitutional role in providing advice, and I hope, consent to my nomination. Before I continue, I want to thank my family for their love and support. My wife, Nilda, is here, uh, seated one row back, but standing by my side in this, as in all of my endeavors. She is my inspiration, my motivation, and the love of my life. Seated next to her is my goddaughter, Addie Foslid, who's here with her dad, Adam. My parents are here as well. My mom and dad, Ines and Eliet Pedrosa, had the courage to leave behind communist oppression in Cuba, and risk everything to start literally over in the United States. Everything I am and everything I do is because of them. Lastly, my in-laws could not be here today, but they are at home live streaming this hearing, so I want to thank them as well for their support. My mother-in-law, Nilda Rosa, my father-in-law, Ricardo Rodriguez, and my brother-in-law, Rick Rodriguez. Mr. Chairman, As you were uh, very kind enough to point out in your warm introduction, over my 18 years of legal practice, I've represented clients in matters around the world, but primarily in disputes and other matters within the Americas, from Mexico to the Caribbean, down to the Southern Cone. This is a region that is blessed with incredible promise and opportunity. It's a region rich in natural resources and with warm, dynamic, diverse people but I've seen firsthand some of the challenges that they face. I've seen how weak institutions, unchecked corruption, political instability, and economic uncertainty can throttle private enterprise and economic development. I'm aware that too many of our fellow citizens of the Americas are still deprived of their basic rights to life, liberty, property, and a fair opportunity for prosperity by certain corrupt and oppressive governments in the region, by violent criminal gangs, and by the crushing weight of hopelessness. As Americans, it's in our vital national interest to face these challenges and work with our neighbors to create, nourish, and sustain prosperous democracies in every corner of our shared hemisphere. If I'm fortunate enough to be confirmed, I will devote myself to working in partnership with my colleagues in the executive branch and the Congress, especially this committee, to ensure that the IDB continues to be an important part of the solution to the problems that we face together. I firmly believe that American leadership and investment, both public and private, can change outcomes in the region for the better, and I hope to have the opportunity to work with you and your staffs to help achieve that goal. Mr. Chairman and Ranking Member Menendez, I thank you again for this opportunity to appear before you and the other distinguished members of this committee. I look forward to your questions and I will finish simply by wishing all of the moms, both in the room and at home live streaming, an early Happy Mother's Day.
1: Thank you, thank you so much. (laughs) Senator Menendez. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I have a a letter from the Democratic leader, Senator Schumer, uh, on behalf uh, and uh, recommending and supporting uh, David Kornstein's nomination to the ambassadorship for Hungary. I'd ask that it be included in the record. Without objection. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Mr. Chella, let me ask you, uh, how do you view WikiLeaks? How do you view WikiLeaks? Uh, Thank you,
4: Senator. Uh, Excuse me, Senator. Thank you for the question. I do view it as a uh, hostile non-state actor.
1: OK. Now, as someone who views it as a hostile non-state actor, in October 12 of 2016, in the middle of a controversy over Mr. Trump's comments on the Access Hollywood tape, you released a statement citing WikiLeaks and claiming that Hillary Clinton, her advisors, and I can only assume her Roman Catholic running mates, are turning, quote, the clock back to the days of the 20th century. No Catholics need apply type of discrimination. So as someone who just told me that it is a hostile non-state actor and that actually mirrors to uh, some degree what the former director of the CIA, now the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, has labeled WikiLeaks as a non-state hostile intelligence service that, quote, will take down America any way they can and find any willing partner to achieve that. And why did you find it as an acceptable source to cite?
4: Thank you, Senator. Uh, in no way, shape, or form was it meant as an endorsement of, of WikiLeaks or its practices. Uh, but its
1: it, use is an endorsement.
4: Uh, it was rather just a remark on the content that was in the material that was in the public domain uh, at the time.
1: There's a lot of things in the public domain including actions by Russia and others to try to su- subvert our democracy. You wouldn't want to be quoting that, would you?
4: Well, I understand, uh, Senator, your concern and the t- tweets refer- the, the reference to um, WikiLeaks and uh, given how uh, they have targeted us intention- with intentionality. Um, uh, it was uh, done so in the middle of a very hard-fought uh, pitched campaign uh, But based on additional uh, uh, things that have uh, uh, emerged, I've read the Minority Report, uh, I certainly have a a better understanding of of what is involved of of WikiLeaks. Let me ask you, you
1: do you know Austin Ruse? I
4: I do know Austin,
1: yes, sir. How do you know him?
4: Uh, He has... previously served on the board of the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast.
1: And you were the founder of that uh, organization?
4: I am the founder of the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast, yes, sir.
1: All right, so um, he was the vice president for a time, Mr. Ruse, uh, and he said some pretty vile things. He has claimed that a priest from the Holy See's UN delegation guaranteed him, quote, absolution if I just took her, meaning Hillary Clinton, out and not on a date." Quote. He claimed that vicious Russian anti-LGBTQ laws are part of a noble quest for, quote, human rights, and that, quote, the hard left, human-hating people that run modern universities should be taken out and shot. And that's just tip of the iceberg. I could read a lot more. So explain to me how you uh, justify having Mr. Ruse uh, be part of the organization that you created, an organization that in and of itself, as uh, was described, is certainly worthy. Uh, to describe uh, when you founded the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast, you described it as, quote, an annual beacon of hope and an encouragement to witness our faith and our love for this country. Those are very admirable goals. Yes, sir. But how does that justify having Mr. Ruse serve as the vice president of your organization with those type of comments?
4: Thank you for the question, Senator Menendez. The, uh- National Catholic Prayer Breakfast was founded in 2004. Uh, It's been uh, uh, a great success in every successive year. Uh, Those remarks by Mr. Ruse, I I was unaware of until recently and occurred in 2016. And it is not anything that would uh, pour forth from my mouth.
1: You, You never heard him say these things? No. Really? No, sir. Yes, sir. He hasn't been shy about advertising his opinions. He's claimed that homosexuals, quote, want to win our children over for their very nefarious causes that come from the very pits of hell, close quote. He has said that LGBTQ activists are almost, quote, almost pure evil. He has said that the federal workplace protections for LGBTQ people, quote, they don't even have to know how to type as long as they have lopped off, and I'm not going to go through the rest of it, or to at least wear dresses. You never heard any of that.
4: Never have Senator Menendez, and those it's are— It's pretty
1: remarkable for the yeah. person who's the vice president of your organization. You, you never he, heard any of that.
4: He is no longer the vice president of the organization. He has been off the board for many years, and those are his words and not mine, and nor do I support them. Let I me ask you and,
1: this. Yes, let, let me ask you this to finish this line of questioning. Do we have your commitment, this committee, that those who may be LGBTQ employees in your embassy— or United States citizens who request assistance from your embassy will be treated with the dignity and respect that any citizen of the United States deserves?
4: 100 percent, Senator. And the first pillar of the national security strategy, as you well know, is involves upholding the dignity of the individual. And by my nature, since I can remember, I have treated every individual with great worth, dignity, and respect that they deserve, and that would continue in my post if I'm confirmed with your consent.
1: I have plenty of other
7: questions, Mr. Chairman, for the rest of the Thank you. Senator Young. Welcome all. Ambassador Wolcott. In President Trump's speech yesterday regarding the Iran nuclear agreement, he emphasized, quote, the deal's inspection provisions lack adequate mechanisms to prevent, detect, and punish cheating and don't even have the unqualified right to inspect many important locations, including military facilities. Ambassador Wolcott, to ensure Iran's compliance with the nuclear agreement, has the IAEA inspected in person any military bases in Iran? Um,
2: Senator Young, thank you for that question. Um, I am not sure. They don't really uh, make public sometimes where they go. I think there are questions about the military sites. Uh, A lot of people still have, for sure.
7: Do you know whether the the IAEA has formally asked to inspect uh, military sites within Iran? I do not know okay well, if they haven't then um it it seems to me we can't be confident that Iran has fully complied with the agreement. does that would you draw the same conclusion um
2: The Director General, uh, Director General Amano, has said on more than one occasion that there were no no sites that should be off-limits. Whether or not that means they um, intend to go to those sites, I I do not know. Uh, I would think it would be important to do so, um, given the past history of Iran's nuclear program.
7: You'd agree with my observation that if military sites, um, if if we don't know whether or not the military sites uh, have in fact been expected inspected for nuclear activity. Um, then that creates uh, a distinct possibility that there uh, is nuclear activity occurring there that has been undetected and that in turn creates a threat to American citizens and our allies and partners.
2: Senator, I, I agree I agree with that observation.
7: Okay. Well, I, I think that there's, I would agree with the president. There, there's a fundamental flaw in the agreement. And I know it's my hope that collectively on this committee and beyond we will now work prospectively uh, to try and, and um, put the genie back into uh, the box as it were. Uh, Ambassador Wolcott, if you're confirmed as, as representative of the US uh, to the Vienna office of the UN, it's my understanding your office Uh, though it has a broad portfolio, uh, would work with the UN Office of Drugs and Crime. Is that correct?
2: That's correct, Senator.
7: Okay. And the UNODC, as it's called, describes itself as the global leader in the fight uh, against illicit drugs and international crime. Among other things, UNODC specializes in research and analytical work to increase knowledge and understanding of drugs and crime issues and expand the evidence base for policy and operational decisions. Now my home state, like your home state uh, of Ohio, uh, is being decimated in some communities by this opioid crisis. The Indiana State Department of Health indicates that uh, according to our most recent numbers in 2016 there were 785 drug overdoses. Uh, uh, involving uh, opioids and and, uh, deaths associated with those overdoses. In your prepared statement, you identify urgently addressing the opioid crisis as a top priority, and I'm really encouraged by that. Based on your preparation for this nomination uh, and this hearing, do you know whether UNODC has, has identified some best practices that could potentially inform our domestic policy here in the United States so that we can better confront the opioid crisis in states like Indiana.
2: Thank you, Senator. Um, The UNODC does a lot of technical work and um, uh, goes into countries and helps them with um, uh, improving their laws and working with investigations and forensic officials and those sorts of things. Um, Also, an important thing that it does on this opioid crisis is to list fentanyls and other drugs on a control list, Um, and I think that's a place where we can do more work. I'm really anxious, if confirmed, to get there to see what more can be done because um, I know our INL Bureau at the State Department has been working with UNODC and so has I.O. for some time, but um, there are a lot of ways I think we can um, do better at detecting and stopping these illicit um, drugs coming into the country. And that's something that UNODC can work with us on and also the UPU on the the drugs coming through the mail to uh, Mexico and Canada.
7: I just, uh, there may be some unrealized opportunities with respect to implementing identified best practices uh, by UNODC uh, uh, implementing those best practices here in the United States uh, or perhaps working with UNODC to tease out those best practices so that all countries can benefit. Uh, do I have your commitment uh, to work with my office and others on this committee uh, on that front?
2: Absolutely, Senator. I'm, a, I'm very uh, anxious to do that.
7: All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Senator Shaheen.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Congratulations to all of the nominees today and to your families for um, being willing to consider taking on these responsibilities. Mr. Cohen, we're facing the largest refugee crisis in decades, and we know that pregnancy-related deaths and instances of sexual violence increase significantly during these crises, especially when people are pushed into huge refugee camps. In 2015, the UN estimated that 61% of maternal deaths took place in humanitarian crises and fragile settings where health services were not available to women. The United Nations Population Fund is the leading provider of maternal and reproductive health services and supplies in humanitarian emergencies. They often operate in areas where no one else is able to or willing to, and they're the leading global coordinator around gender-based violence prevention and response. Unfortunately, the State Department made a determination back in March to withhold funding for UNFPA. And the proposal for the fiscal year 2019 budget reflects this decision. So, if we are not gonna support UNFPA as they try and help women and children in these crises, what should we be doing? to address the challenges that we're facing with refugees around the world.
3: Senator, thank you for the question. Uh, We remain committed to women's empowerment and women's issues, including maternal and child health issues, and doing work on them through multiple UN agencies, including UNICEF, WHO, WFP, to name a few.
8: And can you tell me how many women that those organizations might be able to support compared to UNFPA?
3: I would have to look into that for you, Senator. Um, would
8: you please uh, get that data and get that to the absolutely. entire committee? Absolutely. Thank you.
3: Um, as I understand it, and the kemp Caston determination was um, made, uh, as you mentioned earlier this year, we're legislatively required if such a determination is made to withhold funding from an organization. And the, the specific reason, as I understand it, is that um, UNFPA was uh, determined to be supporting the Chinese government agency responsible for implementing China's coercive family planning practices, including forced sterilization and coercive abortion.
8: And, and I understand that that's been alleged, but in fact, in the memorandum of justification for the determination regarding the Kemp Kasten amendment that the State Department sent to the Foreign Relations Committee, the State Department concluded that no such evidence exists. Um, I would hope, Mr. Cohen, that you would, in your new position, commit to working to reverse the determination that UNFPA be denied U.S. funding if you find that that decision was made wrongly.
3: Thank you, Senator. If confirmed, I will look into this matter deeply and I will get back to you with what I'm able to find out.
8: Thank you very much, Mr. Chella. If you're confirmed as ambassador, you would be the ambassador to a number of small islands in the Pacific who will be drastically affected by global climate change and rising sea levels. On September 22, 2017, the President of Kiribati addressed the United Nations General Assembly and called for swift global action on climate change. In light of the President's decision to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement, how would you respond to the concerns of those islands that you would be um, ambassador to about the need for collective action to limit uh, global warming and to address rising sea levels? And what, what kind of action should we be thinking about if we're not going to be part of the international community's effort to address this crisis?
4: Thank you for your question, Senator Shaheen. Um, I'm from Michigan. Uh, we, in Michigan, are surrounded by five bodies of water containing the 80, 84% of the fresh water in the United States, 21% of it in the world. Uh, I have worked to protect the environment in my professional capacities there uh, as a steward and I will, uh, in my capacity as a steward and a bridge builder, uh, to the island of Kiribati and other nations that are uh, impacted, uh, work with them to achieve that, uh, and specifically Uh, The temporarily withdrawal, I hope perhaps some uh, re-engagement in the accord if the conditions were more favorable to the United States that this could mitigate, Uh, I think there is a deliberate and thoughtful approach presently underway. And I'm hoping in the meantime to advocate for whatever relief through USAID to uh, shore up whatever they uh, may need in terms of uh, water. and other um, uh, fallout that they have through through flooding uh, as a result of the cyclones. But you have my commitment, Senator, to do that very thing and work so aggressively.
8: So do you believe that global warming is happening and that human activity is contributing to it?
4: Yes, Senator, it is happening. I do believe that. Uh, Pope Francis, as you know, uh, in his encyclical mm-hmm. Laudato Si uh, speaks to this. And uh, it is uh, uh, it, it delves into it quite extensively and uh, I, I think it is both human, and I think there's some natural um, uh, involvement as well, but but I do, and uh, in my capacity, would uh, would work with you and, uh, and the administration to uh, mitigate whatever whatever we might, however we might do so.
8: Thank you. I applaud the Pope for taking that action with his encyclical.
0: Thank you. Senator Isaacson. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
9: Uh, Ms. Walcott, you made a statement about the $300 million being invested in Vienna-based or international organizations and that's where the the IAEA is based, is that correct?
2: Yes, Senator, that's correct.
9: And I think in your testimony you talked about being making sure that money is spent wisely and invested wisely and you specifically mentioned the opioid crisis in the United States. What do you think through your appointment to the IAEA? We could do on the do with some of that money to help stop the flow of opioids, or the use of opioids, or the abuse of opioids in the United States or in the world.
2: Senator, that's a good question. The, I'm not sure. How I was much, hoping you had a magic. <laughs> I'm not sure how much the IAEA is involved. Of course, UNODC is, um, but it's something I promise I will be happy to look into and get back to you about.
9: Well, I was glad you mentioned it in your statement, and I appreciate you doing so because that is something all of us. It's a problem for everybody in the world, and it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better, maybe more serious. And everybody needs to accept responsibility to be a part of the solution. So when anytime somebody's appointment doesn't directly address that subject, but they include it in their remarks, it's something they want to concentrate on. I think it's a, setting a good tone for the future, because it's in common interest for all of us. Mr. Gornstein, you know who Ra- Raul Wallenberg is?
5: No, Senator,
9: I do not. You're, okay, well, I want to help you, because you're making okay. make it very popular in Hungary. All right. And, and a lot of other places. Roland Wallenberg was a Hungarian Jew who saved 100,000 lives in yes, Hungary. Yes, I'm sorry, I yeah. do, know. I wasn't a trick question. Uh. M- nobody ever knows. I'm a Swede. Only Swedes really know what Roland <laughs> did. And unfortunately, he disappeared and was never really yes. proven how he died or where he died, although we think, we think it was in the, in the Soviet Union. But... During World War II, he saved 100,000 Hungarian Jews from the gas chambers in Nazi Germany. And we have a special relationship with the Hungarian people, but also the Jewish people of the world, as the United States of America is a great partner of ours. We're soon getting ready to open our embassy in Jerusalem, which is a huge issue for the Jewish people. I really appreciate your statement in your opening remarks about being committed to anti-Semitism and seeing, too, we do everything we can to address it. It is a growing problem in Europe. It's not the same problem it was in World War II with the Nazis, but some of the organizations that embrace anti-Semitism are not the kind of people you want to make members of the UN or any other organization for that matter. So as the ambassador there and as one committed to ending anti-Semitism, I hope you'll lend your America's weight and the influence that you have in that position any way you can to help the Hungarian people see to it that anti-Semitism is ruled out of uh, Hungary and any other Eastern European country.
5: Well, I, I appreciate your comments, Senator. And uh, as I said in my statement, I, I, I really want to engage not just with the government, but with the Hungarian people. I, I have found in my lifetime, unfortunately, when I've experienced some anti-Semitism, the best way to correct that is to be amongst the people, get out as much as you can, and show that you're the type of individual that that they would like to, to meet and to have as a friend.
9: Well, I can identify with that. I'm not Jewish, but my last name's is Isaacson. So I've had a lot of people come up to me later and apologize to me for saying something they thought might have offended me, and I wondered why they thought that. And then finally, I realized one day why they did. So I, I appreciate your yeah. awareness of that.
5: With with Cornstein, it's never been a problem, I'm Senator. Sure
9: it's not. <laughs> and it isn't with Isaacson either. Um,
0: That's the rest of my questions. Thank you. Mitch. Thank you. Thank you so much. Senator Cardin.
10: Well, I want Senator Isaacson to know that we consider you in our minions, so we'll, we'll, we'll include you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Cornstein. first of all, I appreciate <clears throat> our opportunity to visit and your commitment in regards to the human rights issues as it relates to Hungary and its current trend. And I very much appreciate your statement today, uh, uh, very clearly pointing out your mission to promote American values that are really being challenged today uh, by the current government in Hungary. So um, I just want you to understand that this committee wants to work with you. Uh, I usually ask every nominee uh, how they're going to advance human rights uh, and American values, uh, and that we will be following up with you. I also um, am on the Helsinki Commission, which is very much interested in the issue that Senator Isaacson mentioned and the rise of anti-Semitism, but also the human rights issues and a concern about Hungary, which is a member state of the OSCE, and their failure to live up to commitments that they made uh, under the Helsinki agreement. So well, I look forward to working with you in regards to that. Uh, Ambassador Walcott, I want to try to understand how we're going to proceed. I disagree with the president's decision as it relates to pulling out of the Iran nuclear agreement. I think it's a mistake for American national security interests. But he's done it. Now, what is the game plan moving forward? And I'm trying to understand how the United States will participate in the IAEA. We're members of the IAEA, but we're not members of the Iran nuclear family, agreement family any longer. We, as I understand it, give a great deal of information to the IAEA as it relates to Iran's compliance with the nuclear agreement. Now that we're no longer a member of that agreement, how do we work with the IAEA to make sure that Iran is complying with an agreement that we pulled out of? Could you explain that to me?
2: Uh, Senator, thank you. Um, First, I might just start by saying I being outside of the government right now, um, I haven't been in the discussions about the strategies.
10: But you understand so, how the IAEA works. so oh, how Of course. We, you know.
2: Thank you. Um, there are a lot of issues we'll be working on with the IAEA, regardless of, I mean, separate and apart from the Iran issue. Um, I don't know what the plan is beyond the sanctions right now. I heard publicly today that discussions are going on with the Europeans. Um, and I... Assume we will continue to work closely with the IAEA as we always have. We, we have a long history of work, uh, not only day-by-day um, day work, but we, of course, are the largest financial contributor, technical expertise giver, um, intelligence provider to the IAEA. I assume that will continue, but I don't have any into well, So if,
10: if I understand correctly, the enforcing agency for the Iran nuclear agreements, the IAEA, They're working through the United Nations in regards to the enforcement information and they're the the entity that requests inspections, they're the entity that gives information as to whether Iran is in compliance or out of compliance with the agreement. They report, as I understand it, to the United Nations and we're a member of the United Nations, we're a member of the IAEA but we're not a member now of the nuclear agreement parties. How do we how do you envision your role in Vienna, working the IAEA, how do we go forward? The United States is perhaps the most important element, particularly in the intelligence field as to what's happening in Iran. Now that we don't have the protection of the agreement with our partners and we don't have the access, in the IAEA to demand enforcement of the agreement, how do we proceed
2: um, thank you senator the the iaea is uh, does the monitoring and verifying but they don't really establish compliance the member states do that and as a member of the board of governors i assume we would still have a say in what's going on with iran um, they have a, they have safeguards agreements um, in place um, and they're uh, right now they're um, provisionally instituting the additional protocol. So there are a lot of things still going on outside of the JCPOA with Iran through the IAEA. And so I, again, it's been less than 24 hours and I wasn't part of this decision, so I don't know a lot about any specific plans, but I assume we would go and, and still participate as we always have. For instance, before there was a JCPOA, we were still concerned about Iran. I was back there doing it a dozen years ago.
10: But as I understand it, there is particular attention. I understand that they report to the Board of Governors, and I also understand they report to the United Nations, because it's under the United Nations. I, I fully get that. But there is, this is a different protocol than any other country, Iran, with the IAEA. It's Different than any other country. And it is, the, the, the additional resources have been made available in order to deal with this. Without the United States participation in the agreement, or do you have a view as to how that will impact our ability to have confidence about Iran's nuclear program?
2: Um, Senator, honestly, I think it's too soon for me to be able to give a very informed answer on that. Um, This is a brand new decision and one I wasn't involved in, so the only thing I would hope for if confirmed is that I will have the chance to get um, the guidance as it's going forward, I think these things are evolving and developing right now. So I don't really have much more I could say about it right Do, now.
10: Would you commit to come back, if confirmed, come back to this committee, either in an open or closed session, and be able to answer these questions for us?
2: I certainly will, Senator. Thank you. Thank you.
10: Thank
11: you, Senator Kane. Thank you, and congratulations to all the nominees. Ambassador Walcott, I'll, I'll pick up there. Um, and I recognize you've not been immediately in government, You're that you're, you've made that very clear, but. Uh, We have had uh, outreach from our European allies, we've had outreach from the IAEA uh, director, Um, we've had testimony at Armed Services Committee hearings by Secretary Mattis, uh, public hearings that have indicated that Iran is in compliance with the JCPOA. Do you personally have any uh, knowledge to suggest that that is not true?
2: I have no specific knowledge that that's not true, Senator. Right,
11: thank you. Uh, we've also had testimony both by the um, Director General of the IAEA, as he's met with us periodically, um, and similar testimony from Secretary Mattis before the Armed Services Committee recently, where they described the inspection regime of the JCPOA as, as very robust, as one of the most robust in the world. Do you have any knowledge to suggest that those statements are untrue?
2: Senator, I I don't have any knowledge of it. I know there have been um, concerns expressed about the military sites by various people.
11: Um, Is it your understanding? It's my understanding. I just want to make sure I'm right about this, that the JCPOA has inspection requirements of Iran for approximately 25 years that exceed the additional protocol of the NPT. And then after the 25th year, um, under the agreement, uh, if it were still active, Iran would Make a permanent uh, commitment to follow the NPT. Is that your understanding of the agreement?
2: Um, I believe that is the case, Senator. But it's a it's a it's an Iranian commitment.
11: Right. Um, if the U.S. is walked away from the deal, um, do you think it makes it more likely that Iran might not comply with some aspects of the deal?
2: Well, again, I I think the concern wasn't just the deal. Uh, The deal is one part of it, but Mm -hmm. they don't give us a lot of confidence Iran doesn't by what they're doing otherwise, and I think that was why the president um, wanted to look at the intent and and made this decision. And I'll
11: just state, I, I understand that that's what the president said, and that's why this committee and the Congress gave the president significant tools to sanction Iran many months ago on these unrelated activities that the White House has as yet not used. Um, we've been very puzzled about why we've given these additional sanctions tools that the White House has chosen not to use um, and instead blown up a deal that our allies in the IAEA says that they're complying with. Um, but you would agree with me, would you not, that if if Iran decides to allow fewer inspections, the, the inspections over and above the NPT and the additional protocol, if they take the U.S.'s unilateral action as an encouragement to reduce transparency in their program, that's not going to be a good thing for the U.S. or anybody. Wouldn't you agree with me on that?
2: Well, I think it says more about Iran than it says about anything, Senator. How about if I make it real simple?
11: Fewer inspections are bad. Would you agree with me on that?
2: Uh, I agree, Senator.
11: Okay, uh, Mr. Cohen, good to see you again. We visited in Baghdad when I was with you once before, and you you have had a position in the State Department dealing, as I understand, in, in recent years with Greece, Turkey, and Cyprus. And in that position, you must have dealt significantly with the crisis that refugee flows impose upon those nations. Am I correct in making that assumption? Yes, sir. Um, And you would also agree with me, wouldn't you, that the flow of refugees around the world, whether it's driven by climate, civil war, disease, terrorism, that this tens of millions of people, refugees and migrants, uh, is not only a humanitarian challenge for the refugees, but also imposes significant security concerns on nations, including the United States. You'd agree with me on that? Absolutely, Senator. Senator. I am trying to understand why the administration in September pulled the United States out of the UN Global Compact on Migration. It was something that was devised as a best practice forum uh, under the leadership of the United States in 2016. It was not an incursion on anybody's sovereignty. It was an effort to get together and grapple with this problem we're discussing and try to find best practices and share them. Do you understand why the United States alone among the world's nations, decided to pull out of the UN Global Compact on Migration in
3: December 2016? I don't know the answer to that, Senator. Um, but I can tell you my throughout my career, I've worked with refugees and with UN refugee agencies from my first tour in Thailand, where I worked with the UNHCR, to my time in Baghdad, to this current uh, assignment as a Deputy Assistant Secretary, grappling with Turkey, which hosts over three million refugees, Greece, which is uh, bearing a very heavy burden in the aftermath of a financial crisis hosting something like 75,000 refugees.
11: Your nomination gives me some hope that, though we may have alone pulled out of this global compact, we will have somebody at the UN who understands the dimensions of this issue. And I'm glad you're nominated for the position. Thank you, Mr. Chair.
0: Thank you. Senator Menendez. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Cohen, let me ask you, members of the UN Human Rights Council include human rights violators such as Cuba, Venezuela, China, Saudi Arabia. These undemocratic uh, countries outrageously focus on Israel and America while ignoring atrocities committed in states like Syria and Iran. The Council has passed more resolutions condemning Israel than the rest of the countries in the world combined. Additionally, it maintains a permanent agenda item, item 7, that requires that Israel's behavior is raised at every Human Rights Council meeting. Will you commit to working to eliminate agenda item 7 and how do we best work to rid the United Nations of its institutional anti-Israel bias?
3: I absolutely commit to that, Senator. It will be one of my high priorities if confirmed. Uh, We've been working and making some progress in the Human Rights Council in reducing the number of anti-Israel resolutions. Um, They used to be uh, something like 60% of all the resolutions that came out of there. It's much lower now. We still have a long way to go. Uh, Part of the challenge is agenda reform particularly agenda item seven, but also consolidating agenda items so that we're not being wasteful in that council. Another challenge is making sure that the membership is more representative of countries that have strong human rights records rather than ones that have atrocious ones. And if confirmed, I will work hard on that. Uh, Together with Ambassador Haley, we are trying hard to get, especially small countries that have outstanding human rights records, to stand for seats in the council. And the council will be a better body if we can achieve that. Mm -hmm.
1: On a different subject matter, uh, are you familiar uh, with UMFACIP, the uh, uh, UN mission in Cyprus?
3: Yes, sir, I am. I was the deputy chief of mission in Cyprus from 2008 to
1: 2005. How do you view that mission?
3: Uh, It's a critical mission. It has been separating forces that were at war since 1964. The mission is as old as I am. Uh, It is um, a challenge... um, it's a challenging mission, but it's a special mission, and it's a mission where the, the Greek Cypriots and the Greeks find it extremely important, the Turkish Cypriots and the Turks somewhat less so. Um, from my perspective, it's been a vital element of keeping peace of the island. Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, in the past, uh, the US permanent representative at the UN has given a hard time to Cyprus uh, during the deliberations to continue uh, the, that mission often connecting the presence of the force to the progress in the negotiations. But in my view, this penalizes Cyprus because Turkey is the military occupier uh, and it wants peacekeepers out. At a time that Turkey is becoming, from my perspective, more belligerent in the region, uh, going into the exclusive economic zone shared by Israel and Cyprus uh, and uh, a series of other actions, including bombing the Kurds that are our allies in our fight in Syria. Uh, Would you commit to being an advocate with uh, Ambassador Haley to preserving that mission in the days ahead? Yes, Senator.
3: I'll commit to working to preserve the mission. We are also, though, looking at every mandate renewal as it comes up um, against five principles for peacekeeping, one of which is that it support a political solution. And I'm hopeful after seeing what's happened on the island in the last few weeks that we may be seeing the sparks of a new um, opening
1: to work toward a political solution. Yeah, I'm hopeful too, but our big problem here is Turkey. Uh, At the end of the day, if Turkish Cypriots and Greek Cypriots were left to their own devices, we'd probably have peace. But Turkey, with its most militarized per capita in the world, uh, in northern Cyprus, with its hostilities in the exclusive economic zone, seeking to interfere with the international rights of Cyprus and other countries. Uh, I just don't think we can look away from that that reality. Mr. Kornstein, um, Hungary is a really important assignment because I, I wish that Prime Minister Orban would remember his roots, where he came from originally, what he viewed originally. Of course, the European Union works by unanimity. And to the extent that we have had European Union support to pursue our sanctions against Russia for their annexation of Crimea, their invasion and continuing occupation of uh, northern, U- I mean, eastern Ukraine, of the realities of their attempts to affect elections throughout the globe, including ours, uh, one country breaks away, and you break away that solidarity. So, uh, can we receive from you a commitment? that you will be advocating strongly uh, to the Prime Minister that he should be staying within the international order of the European Union on these sanctions until Russia reverts to returning to the international order?
5: Thank you for the question, Senator. Uh, Yes, uh, you have my commitment entirely on that. And I would hope that working with the Prime Minister and, and also engaging the Hungarian people that they would understand that this is an important role. All right. Uh,
1: I have a couple other questions, Chairman. I don't know if other members do. You can keep going. OK. Uh, Mr. Poderosa, uh you, you come way ahead of the curve here because your wife Nilda is such an exceptional person, uh, as I'm sure all of the wives and spouses are here. But I happen to know her. And so before you testified, you were ahead of the curve already. But that doesn't mean you get off scot-free. So. Uh, I want to I get a sense of what you consider the challenges of the agency that you're going to be uh, nominated to, particularly uh, vis-a-vis what's happening in the hemisphere economically, Venezuela, the challenges of China's participation. Give me a sense of – I know you're not there yet, but you've been practicing in the region. Give me a sense of the overview that you have in that regard as it relates to uh, the work that uh, the Inter-American Development Bank will do in the context of those realities. Thank
6: you, Senator. Uh, and thank you, Senator, for your leadership in this area, both in the region and generally. And thank you, of course, for the kind words about my wife. I could not agree with you more. Uh, the...
1: You're a smart man. <laughs>
6: <laughs> thank you, you Senator. <laughs> uh, Senator, I think the obvious major challenge in the region is Venezuela. And uh, today, that challenge is finding a way to restore democracy, finding a way to improve and help with the humanitarian crisis notwithstanding the fact that the Maduro regime is refusing international humanitarian aid. Uh, The problem of the short-term problems of tomorrow will be the destabilization in its neighbors caused by the massive humanitarian crisis in Venezuela and the mid-term to long-term problem or issue will be once democracy is restored the reconstruction and rebuilding of that country. Uh, As you correctly point out, I'm not on the ground at the IDB yet, but it is my strong hope that if I am fortunate enough to be confirmed, I can be part particularly of that solution to that final problem, the reconstruction and rebuilding of that country. I think that is critical uh, not only for Venezuelans, but for the entire hemisphere to have a stable, free Venezuela and one that can return to the economic prosperity that that country once had.
1: I would urge you to look at uh, our, as when you get there, uh, uh, which is, signifies my support of your nomination, uh, that in fact, uh, looking at China and its engagement in the region is incredibly important. They are uh, eating our lunch. Uh, and so your institution would be very important in trying to counteract American interests compared to what is happening with the Chinese in the region. Finally, uh, uh, Ms. Walcott, let me ask you. Uh, do, do you affirm the U.S. moratorium on nuclear testing?
2: The administration has said so in its national security strategy.
1: And, and you echo that view?
2: I, I do. I, um, I think the way it was worded is that we support the moratorium. We would encourage other countries to do so, and the only reason that there would be a test on our part would be um, to verify the safety and effectiveness of the arsenal.
1: Now, at the IAEA, I assume and correct me if I'm wrong, that one of the strongest advocacy will making sure that we have the highest standards, uh, particularly uh, as it relates to safeguards agreements. Is that a fair statement? Uh, Yes, sir. So uh, is it the United States policy to encourage all states, particularly those with civilian nuclear programs, to sign an additional protocol to their safeguards agreements with the International Atomic Energy Agency?
2: Senator, um in my past experience, I, I believe it's the same now. We have always encouraged all the countries around the world to have an additional protocol in force.
1: Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because that creates a greater safeguard for the world and as well as for us. Is it, that not true?
2: It gives more uh, access to the IAEA.
1: And therefore, greater security.
2: Um, that, that's the idea, yes, sir. Yes,
1: okay. So, is it your opinion that the United States should insist that Saudi Arabia? implement the IAEA additional protocol before it enters into a nuclear cooperation agreement with them?
2: Sir, um, my personal view is we should always have the highest standards of safe safeguards and safety and I would always support that.
1: Mm-hmm. Which would mean the additional protocols?
2: Well that's my personal opinion.
1: Right, okay well let's we we'll start with that. Uh, you know one, one of the things with when appointments of nominees is that while obviously you will do whatever the administration wants you to do. I I understand that. But you can be advocates internally for what that should be. And it is my hope, whether we are trying to pursue democracy and end the xenophobia and anti-Semitism in Hungary, whether that is about ending the anti-Semitism at the United Nations and finding more human rights entities that are not uh, violating the very essence of what they're supposed to be pursuing, or whether it is the highest safety standards. Uh, that you are going to be advocates for that. So I I hope hearing that that's your personal opinion is also your advocacy. If you don't win, you don't win. But at least I hope that that's what you're doing when you get the job.
2: Thank you, Senator. That's certainly what I've done in the past.
1: All right. Thank you all. Senator Shaheen.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Kornstein, I had the opportunity to visit Hungary last fall and to meet directly with a number of officials from the Hungarian government with a bipartisan delegation. And one of the examples we heard of the anti-Semitism that you so accurately address in your opening remarks is the law that they've passed with respect to Central European University, which um, the concern is that because of the supporters of that university that Hungary has introduced specific new requirements that try to put this institution out of business. Um, Will you commit that as ambassador you will urge the Hungarian officials to um, reassess their position on this university and any other universities that may be in violation of their law, which is, um, as I said, deliberately targeting um, this university because of its support from outside the government and the country.
5: Thank you for that important question. I, I definitely shall, um, and, and not just for the interest of United States, but uh, more so for the interest of of the people in Hungary and the administration. I mean, and economically as well. I mean, having all of those students there, their families, their friends coming over, uh, it would be, in my view, a crime to see that. And it's not going away. It'll move to Vienna, most likely, if it's out of Hungary. So I would encourage the the government that this is something that they should maybe take a step back, let that university prevail, and and all learning institutions prevail.
8: Absolutely, thank you. And thank you for your opening remarks that reference the importance of democratic institutions. Um, The backsliding in Hungary is very troubling. Um, Mr. Cohen, I wanna pick up a little bit on Senator um, Menendez's comments about the peacekeeping forces, because there have been a number of questions raised in various sectors in the United States about our support for those peacekeeping forces and whether they're really doing the job that we want them to do. And while I certainly agree there are issues that need to be addressed, one place where I have heard firsthand and had a chance to see the impact of UN peacekeeping forces is in Lebanon, where they're work with the Lebanese army and military has really made a huge difference. So can you speak to how important you think it is for us to continue to support that peacekeeping force in Lebanon?
3: Absolutely. Um, First, let me say something about peacekeeping forces in general. The, uh, the, The tool of UN peacekeeping is extremely valuable, extremely important. Um, According to a recent GAO study, it's about eight times less expensive for us than deploying American forces to take care of problems like this. Uh, Great global problems call for collective action and international peacekeeping through the UN gives us a, a tool, an effective tool to do that. Uh, It also gives us a a way to share the burden and share the costs. And one of the things that we need to do at the UN is find a more equitable burden-sharing mechanism because it's not right that one country bears more than a a quarter of the costs for international peacekeeping. Uh, In terms of Lebanon in particular, I know there have been um, concerns about the mission not being able to fulfill its full mandate, and that is an ongoing challenge. It's a difficult operating environment. But um, having served in Israel and seen the value that that the mission there brings uh, to people on both sides of the border, um, I I agree with you. It is an important mission and one that needs to be supported.
8: Thank you. Ambassador Walcott, I I would like to discuss your work as a commissioner on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. New Hampshire is home to an Indonesian community that has come to the United States fleeing religious persecution. The 2017 International Religious Freedom Report details continued violations of freedom of religion throughout Indonesia and lists the country as tier two in its designations. Can you detail some of the instances that led the Commission to um, rank Indonesia in the way that you did as not a welcoming country for Christians and other religious minorities?
2: Thank you, Senator Shaheen. Um, yes, the the trend is not good in Indonesia, and and that is really um, a big part of it. Is they're they're discriminatory against minorities, uh, minority religions, and Christians. They have blasphemy laws on the books um, that are extremely unfair, and and frankly, like every country that has them, they should they should get rid of them.
8: And can you explain for everybody what those blasphemy laws are
2: Um, thank you Uh, blasphemy laws basically are laws on uh, in many countries that say uh, somebody can accuse another person of blaspheming the prophet for instance and um, they are arrested and often um, in jail and sometimes even on death row for that Um, so they're uh, extremely uh, egregious laws really
8: And for Christians or religious minorities that might have to go to Indonesia, did the commission find that there is some reason to believe that they might be in danger because of what's happening in the country there?
2: Um, Senator, I am not sure that we determined that precisely. I know that we are very concerned about the situation there uh, for minorities and Christians, um, whether or not... I don't well. I don't recall discussing specifically if if, if Christians went back if that was considered um, a specific threat. But I would have sympathy for folks that were concerned about that.
8: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thank you. I want to thank all of you for being here. I, I have to say, I think each of you have acquitted yourselves very very well. I'm always inspired by people who. End up being nominated for these positions and the humility that you show and and the desire to serve our country and the way you prepare for these uh, for these hearings. So uh, thank you for many of you for your past public service. I look forward to all of you being confirmed. I know that our office has questioned and met with you extensively and so I I have no questions. Um, The record will remain open until the close of business on Friday and my sense is You will desire to answer those questions promptly, and uh, hopefully you'll be to your nominated post very, very soon. But thank each of you for your desire to serve our country in this way. And uh, with that, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you.